Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Ostroff from Legalese Marketing and this is Exhibit A Attorneys where we talk to attorneys and other experts across the country about what it takes to truly be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Today I have a very special guest because he qualifies, I think, as certainly an attorney but also an expert who's going to talk to us about the benefits of coaching from the attorney perspective. Joining us today is Victor Medina. He's a certified elder law attorney and certified financial planner, the founder of Medina Law Group, and is it Palante? Palante Wealth. Palante Wealth Advisors, a financial planning and investment management firm. He's been practicing estate and elder law for over 15 years, as well as being a certified adjunct practice advisor through Atticus. Atticus is the premier attorney coaching company in the United States. Sorry, I cannot talk today. Where he facilitates group coaching programs for over 70 attorneys. He's the author of five books on estate and elder law planning, the host of a popular radio show and a frequent speaker and lecturer to attorneys, CPAs, and the general public. He's also an unabashed Apple fanboy. We did make him log on to Google Meet for this, so I hope that's not that's okay. Uh, unable to resist the siren song of newest shiny toys that Apple releases. Big fan of the Red Sox. All right. Patriots. I'm a Dolphins fan, so that's where I draw the line. And uh -huh. bourbon, the order depends upon the day. So with the last Super Bowl, was that a bourbon out of happiness for Brady or bourbon out of... I gotta tell you, of... you know, it was a bourbon out of happiness. My, my loyalty extended to the guy that delivered uh, so many championships to the uh, Patriots. So I'm good. I'm, I was definitely in favor of him winning. Fantastic. All right. So um, for everybody watching the show, our last episode aired last Thursday with Maddie Martin of Smith.ai talking about your company's online presence and how you do the best job for intake and scheduling screenings. Today, though, we are talking with Victor about coaching from the lawyer perspective. So we have a lawyer, we have a coach, we have a lawyer coach. So, you know, talk to us a little bit more about your journey. And then really, I want to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, when's the right time for a lawyer to get a coach and what to look for? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I probably um, shifted to really thinking about estate planning as a business rather than just the practice that I did maybe around 2008 or so, which coincided with when I joined a group coaching program. It actually was a uh, almost like a, a trial balloon that was being launched by the marketing company that I was affiliated with at the time. The guy who was in charge of that knew he needed a coach. So he brought in who became my coach. He still is my coach today to kind of run a group coaching program. So I did that for about five or six years or so. And then I shifted to another coaching program with Atticus. The guy, by the way, who ran the other program was from Atticus. He was just sort of on loan to this marketing company. And then I've continued on since. About two years ago, I began training to get the certified um, adjunct practice advisor designation and start coaching with Atticus. So I'm fond of saying that we I drank the champagne that we produce. Um, I'm, I'm a paying coaching client as well as a paid coach, uh, and which it gives me that kind of perspective of really be having been in the shoes of the people that I'm talking to. And I don't mean that from a credibility standpoint, like I know what I'm talking about more from the perspective of when you're in a coaching program or you're receiving coaching, it's often you're in the midst of this journey as a business owner. And from time to time you get you get your world rock. Like you're really not sure whether or not you're going to make it at the end. And sometimes just sitting in that coaching session gives you what you need to move on, which is a very lonely journey being a business owner. It's one that is 
really not um it, you don't get a ton of reward back from it like there's there's these little pockets that you're getting a signal that you're doing something right um and outside of that it's it's that crazy up and down and setbacks and all that kind of stuff so i really cherish and honor almost revere the opportunity to speak with lawyers when i'm in a being coach with that hat on because i know what it might meet for them you know at that time and so i've got i've got a lot of that sort of perspective coming in anyway that's the journey and to this day i would say i probably coach i don't know um 15 of my time 10 of my time and then uh, the business owner on the three companies that i run the other percent of the time there's a very very small percentage that i run a national mac lawyer conference which happens in the fall um and it doesn't take too much of my time the whole point of running it is so that it doesn't cost me money but it does occupy a little bit of my heart because uh it's sort of where i started this collegiality because mac users tend to be those kind of folks so anyway that's my journey jordan so and i i love what you started with there because i you know i tell everybody I have the easiest job i'm really just putting out content that i wish i knew before i learned it you know, having been through the running a firm. And so from your perspective, you've got that same thing, like you've walked in the shoes of both sides of that coach attorney relationship. And that's got to give you just such an amazing perspective. It does. It lends credibility when I'm in front of them because I've got the ESQ, I've got the business owner uh, to the outside world. I'm successful. That's not to say I'm not successful, but I'm saying people can look and say, oh, he's got an established practice or even reputationally within the world of estate planning attorneys, I'm well known enough to be like, oh, he's got something together that I can learn from. So there's that aspect of it so that they understand that I know from whence I speak. But it also gives me an opportunity to change the language and approach that I'm giving because it's not a lecture series from some academic that said these are the principles of running a great firm and you ought to learn them. It's I've been in your shoes. I've hired and fired. I can't tell you how many people. Uh, my kids are fond of quizzing me on naming all of the people that I may have hired and fired at some time in my life. I'm always under by about 10 to 15. And it's always a joke within our firm. We're like, don't you remember that person that was here? I was like, wait. And they, but it was Christina and it spelled it with a K. Is that right? Because I can't remember what's going on. So anyway, I've, I've lived that journey of staffing, marketing, cash flow, time management. And so I know how to adjust or, I'm sorry, without it sounding egotistical, I invest the time to adjust the way that I speak so that I can match them where they are. Because I've been in each of those positions, feeling on top of everything, feeling behind, of having a staff of one, having a staff of 12. I mean, I've been in that whole spectrum to kind of understand what they might need to hear at any particular time. So you said something that I want to dive into with a little bit more detail. You talked about how when you started coaching, that was about the same time that you understood to start running your firm as a business. Yeah. So I want to, I want to chicken and egg that was that a situation where like you felt that way. So you figured you need to find coaching or was that something where you found coaching and that helped you shift that mindset? Well, it, it comes together in sort of two or three different umbrellas of examination. Uh, one of them was, uh, I I've just been a voracious, uh, sort of consumer of principles around how to do things better. I always like the concept of improvement. So whether it was self-improvement, personal development, if somebody put out something in there, I've always felt I'm almost obligated to go check that out, see if it has any value. So when the group was proposed, I knew it was something I was going to do because I like improvement in that area. The second component of it is I latched onto it with both hands for this reason, which was I was going to do everything they told me 
to do so that when it failed, I would have an unassailable complaint to them that their technology sucked and I shouldn't be doing it. Of course, the punchline is it worked and I never got the chance to tell them how badly they sucked, but I was full in from the beginning. But the last component to it is there was a distinction that was made. And it's a distinction that I talk about in my coaching, which is we've spent most of our lives as attorneys being evaluated on an academic paradigm. Did you make law review? Can you do the case thing? Can you have your argument? It's all within the structure of what's between your ears as uh, substantively in the practice. There's a distinction that happens with lawyers who are running their business when they want to take that next step. And the distinction is that they want to be measured not by an academic standard, but by the business skills that they have. That switch ends up challenging a lot of the preconceived notions about how to go about their day. So it's no longer necessarily about the fact that being a great lawyer will lead them to have a great business. It would be that being a great business person will be what leads them to have a great business. The trick is most lawyers believe that making that leap sacrifices their original legal skills, uh, integrity, or anything else. And we have to work very hard to say, no, those are table stakes. <laughs> table stakes are that you do the right thing, you're awesome at what you do, and you're able to deliver a whole bunch of value for your client. The problem is that it's not the only thing. So we're going to put that on the shelves. I mean, that's absolutely the case. We don't want to talk to you if you're somehow going to not live in integrity with your original promise to help clients when you take them on. And at the same time, the real thing that we're going to be looking at is how do you attract, train, and retain great talent? Where do you develop in terms of the marketplace and what's your messaging from that? How do you create a process in around what you deliver so that you can meet your obligations to be doing great work? Because if we just left it to up to you as opposed to a system off of it, how can we leverage? You really want to make an impact in the world? How about we take you times four and figure out how to do that? Because you're going to be limited in your impact if you're going to hold on to everything that makes the impact going forward. So whether it's developing a team uh, in terms of non-lawyers, having a bunch of lawyers, having satellite office, going out and coaching other people, whatever it's going to be that allows you to extend your influence and grow, let's go, go work on those skills because that's really going to be how you are going to make this demonstrable impact on the world and have a very stable and successful business. I mean, spoken like a true Boston sports fan going all in out of spite and then actually having it work out. So I just, I love that. <laughs> it's great. So if you had, you know, if you had access to a time machine yeah. and you could go back to that moment where you started coaching, my first question is, do you wish you had started that earlier or did you need the, the bumps to get to that level to really be open to it? There's a distinction, I think, in revenue and uh, some stability components that make you capable of being receptive to coaching or, or not. Uh, some of them include bumping your head up against the ceiling on a routine basis. You got to have some pain from where you are, but you also need to have some measure of success because if the next case in the door is make or break grocery money, uh, we're not investing in coaching right now. There's other things you should be doing to kind of shore that up. The The problem with me, or not the problem, the reason why I wouldn't fall underneath that is I actually started out my practice by purchasing 
the practice of a retiring attorney, not in estate planning and not I mean, anything that I'm doing right now. In fact, we got rid of our last client in that area. We did representation of public school boards, but I had stability coming in. I had revenue coming in. We were about four or $500,000. The issue was that it was on four clients. And when one of them left, somebody lost a job. So we had no structural way of supporting it. It was very, very thin. But could I have gone coaching right from that moment? Yeah, probably. It may have led me to sort of adding estate planning as a practice area or some form of a high yield, larger number sort of practice in a client where I commanded how to push the levers on bringing things in and it wasn't institutional. I probably would have done that sooner because the whole move into estate planning was in a reaction saying, hold on, we can never have the situation again that one public school board and some political thing decides to fire me and hire their friend. And I got to tell somebody they've lost their job. Um, and you know, I did that in reaction to what was going on. Was it capable of being done proactively? Absolutely. From the moment that I bought the firm, I could have jumped in, but I think you have to have that base level of success and or frustration combined together before you can leap into it. Because I can't, I think about it this way, Jordan, you, there, there's only so much space in our heads. You and me, we may have more room walking into that scenario than other people, but there's only so much space in the head. Because right now it's just full of air and empty space. That's what exactly what I'm saying. That's, okay. That was the point. Got it. Yeah. So to the extent that it is occupied by what you see in front of you, uh, I'm fond of saying that you can't, your vision can't extend further than your cash flow. So if what's going on is uh, this moment, this second, that bill, and I can't occupy any space in your head to help you lead a great life, to transform your practice, th then there's no business getting into it. You know, I need to kind of shoehorn my way in to say, okay, good. And that's, by the way, one of the ways that we structure this is that we work on time and focus management first, because until we can free up mindset, we can't do the thing that leads to marketing. If we can't do the marketing, then we won't have the work to hire staffing. And once we get the staffing in place, we can attend to cash flow. Those become the four cornerstones of creating this transformational practice that moves you from being a technician to a business owner. But it needs to happen almost in that order. If you flip that around, if I'm trying to scrunch pennies on cash flow first, but I haven't done anything that allows you to change your mindset or grow, I, the work is much harder to get through to the end. So wait, so it was mindset, marketing, growth, cash flow? No, let's try it again. So time, focus, management, marketing, staffing. So getting staffing. help and leveraging and okay. cash flow. So those, that's the order that we'll go in. All right. So we'll dive into that a little bit more deeper, but I want to see, let me think about framing this question. I, I guess let me start here. I love that you phrase it that way because I cringe inside when there are other people who are like, yeah, I know that you're struggling and making no, no money. So just like run this on your credit card and buy my course or do, and I'm always just like, oh my God. No, I'm like, if you have no money, follow me on LinkedIn and look at the free advice and see what you can do with it to get to. Yeah. So I, I love that you said that. Um, so I guess, I, you know, I want to get into those four things, but I want to, I'm still stuck on this, like one step before that. So okay. like, what, what is the moment that the attorney has where like that light bulb goes off that like coaching is what you need? What's the, what's that impetus for it? Or what's that problem that it's best solved? Because it sounds like it's not my entire firm is a mess. No. And, and I don't think that that is because that kind of sort of dumpster fire reaction, while there's a ton of pain in there, probably doesn't lead itself to saying someone else has the answer. Uh, and maybe I can go and get to that. 
if we had to frame it into, into a couple of different thoughts that people could potentially have, one of them is in and around, uh, is this all that there is? So people who have been grinding and working and start to resent their practice and resent the, the, what they've developed, that moment where it says, is, there all, is this all that there is, is probably a good point for you to say, maybe somebody else has the answers. Uh, and that coaching can lead me there. And look, you can have coaching in lots of different uh, formats. I happen to gravitate towards group coaching, although I do have a couple one-on-one -on -one clients. And you, mostly I get, this gets way off course, but because I've done the financial plus legal, that has me in kind of this little rarefied air that somebody wants to add financial services, comes and hires me as a one-on-one -on -one coach. But I enjoy the group coaching component more. And so you could get either one of those really is about whether or not you're trying to do block and tackle stuff or vision things? How much accountability do you need versus implementation? That, that, that kind of discussion. But if you go in there and you say, well, there's, is this all that there is? Could I potentially have more? That's a good pain point to listen to because that's when you're open to hearing some additional answers uh, from that. The other the component of it is um, the people who are reaching towards having a great life but are lost on the roadmap on how to get there. So they're not coming from a place of pain, but they're reaching towards something that has this sort of mm, wishy vision. I can kind of see the edges and it's better than what I have right now. And that's the direction I want to go. But I'm not sure what are the white stones that I need to step across this particular river in order to get to the other side. That becomes another point of distinction. I'll tell you that one of the things that Atticus has done pretty successfully, uh, and by the way, I'm not, my pay with them is already set, no matter who listens to this or does anything else. There's no, there's nothing comes from it. But one of the things that um, they, they've done really well is starts to meet potential coaching clients where they are. And what I mean by that is they have a free series, sort of similar to what you do on LinkedIn with the content that's out there in this podcast and, you know, uh, this video, they, they produce content that, that starts to discuss in that framework, the distinction between the academic paradigm and the business skills, right? And so you start to watch that. And if, when that speaks to you, you might then take a leap at that point in time. The other thing they do is they do more one-off programs. So they do programs like build to sell, on your practice or how to double your revenue, things like that, that you might spend an, uh, an episodic period with them and, and you would see the technologies and their approach and go, you know, I want more of that. That, that. that tasted really good. I really liked the way that I felt. I like the whole structure. Don't you have something more? And of course they have a sales machine to remind you that they have something more and they'll talk to you about that. But they, it doesn't always come in with somebody raising their hands being like, I want to do coaching and I want to do it with Victor Medina because I saw him on this thing with the Jordan dude and I just want to go ahead and do that. It's rare that that happens. You know, it, it's sort of the other things, just like you get a little taste of this idea and this set of strategies and technologies that when you start to implement, transform you from being a heroic technician in your practice to a post-heroic leader of your form, somebody who is the coach of a great team and watches them succeed. And by the way, has more time off, more personal freedom, more personal income than they ever thought was possible. So when you switch from uh, Luke Skywalker to Yoda or baby Yoda, as I can see behind you. A whole story brand idea where you're going to shift on there and be like, I'm not going to be measured necessarily by everything that I do, even though I reap all of the rewards that come from watching these folks. I mean, there's nothing to me more rewarding than in turning to my team, watching them develop. Uh, there's a um, brand strategist, a guy named Rory Vaden, that he does brand builders, lots of great content. 
Don't mind sharing it here because I think he's about 60 grand to talk to. So very few people are going to just going to you know pick up the the coin for that. But one of the things they said is that the job of leaders in, in what you're doing is to develop other leaders in, within your firm. And so when you're coaching a great team, where you get rewarded is watching them not perform the tasks that you've given in some format, but actually grow into leaders themselves. Um, there's another there's a book called The One Thing. And the guy who wrote that talks about the journey from I to we, from we to they, and then more importantly, from they to theirs. And the distinction is when you're by yourself, it's I'm going to be the person to do that. When you have a team on, we're going to do that, but it's still all central to you. Your freedom comes when you make the jump from we to they are the ones to do it. And then, then life becomes incredibly different when they turns into theirs that they own. It, and they own the whole journey off of it. I'm not talking about non-lawyers owning law firms. Stop, stop. I'm not talking about that. But talking about their job and their growth and the innovation and what they deliver to clients, they own that. It's theirs in the way they develop. That is hugely rewarding when you can take somebody through that journey. In both contexts, by the way, not just coach to lawyer, but leader of a firm to the people that are there with you. Yeah, it's amazing to me the exponential growth you get from empowering a team because you'll find people that are genuinely better than you at at least certain tasks you'll find people have more time to you know do a lot of the work you'll find that people end up doing it more repetitively and learn the best way to do it i mean there's just there the the growth is there's just so many great opportunities there as opposed to one person doing everything yeah and and, and it's totally um uh consistent that if you have been measured under an academic paradigm, then your performance is what is determinative, which means your ownership over that is almost understandable. When you make that shift and you're like, wait a second, no business skills. What are the best run businesses in the world? Yet they don't rely on one particular person. They could be a vision setter up what they're doing, but really their power comes from their team and their culture. And we see this lesson over and over again. You know, not that every company has a great culture. Not every successful company has a great culture, but companies with great culture have are successful. It, it, just, there's no two ways about that. And they just manifest it in different ways. Your values, your core principles, what you bring to the table will shape what that will be for you. But make no mistake that your investment in that is rewarding. And I'm not talking about like, you know, just incrementally rewarding. And we're talking about logarithmically rewarding. This is going to come back and pay dividends time and over and over again with you. All right. So I think we've done enough of the, like, where are you first to get into the coaching stuff? And I just, to me, that that's just one of like the most fascinating points. And I just love how, I love what you said there. I mean, you're not trying to hard sell people and that you need that um, you call that table stakes. You know, you need to have that solid foundation for coaching to add, you know, the next levels. So now walk me through that four step, uh, sure. four step process, four corners. Yeah. So the four cornerstones, uh, pillars that on which you grow the foundations. If you think just to, to extend the analogy, you know, we're going to build your great firm on a fantastic foundation. If it's a shaky foundation, there isn't a thing in the world that we're going to have in terms of getting you to innovate or do anything else in there that will be sustainable over time. The structural defects will show themselves out uh, if we haven't shored that up from the beginning. So one of the things that we work on in order is time and focus management. 
management. Um, so that's the first layer of that mindset shifts to try to understand this academic to, uh, paradigm to business thing, to have you go from a technician to a practice growth program. And by the way, see the next journey to have be a market leader over what you're doing, where you eventually get to be the coach of a great team. Sort of seeing what that journey looks like as an initial component, and then putting in discrete strategies to allow you to gain more time and focus management. Some of them are very simple and well-known, like, you know, do you work towards the Pomodoro technique for productivity or not? Basically carving out 20, 25 minute slots in order for you to have dedicated work. Do you have a time template? What does your ideal week look like? Do you have something that's printed on there so that you slot in your clients' times, your strategic initiative times, time with your team? How do you, you know, how do you actually structure your week uh, off of it? What do you do if you have a team in terms of getting them to batch their questions, delegate and come back to you? So these are all sort of very discrete strategies whose goal is, is to create more margin for you to command your time and focus better than you have in the past. If we were successful in that in terms of the corners, first cornerstone, we can then move to, to marketing ideas and working through what your structure is. Do you understand the cycle of marketing that you have? Do you understand what it has to have a referral base and how to nurture that? How do you uh, end up you know, uh, um, tagging them within their values, tier A, B, and C from that? What are your marketing habits? How does that now fit into the margin that you've created? Are you doing three a week? Are you doing three a day? So we kind of layer that next marketing component, which helps us to bring cash into the door and now we can focus on the staffing component of it because we have sufficient cash to go out and get a rock star team or at least pay attention to what that rock star team is. How do you attract them? How do you train them? How do you retain them? How do you manage them? Those are all sort of part of the third cornerstone from that with uh, discrete technologies and strategies to be successful. And finally, after that, we're going to focus on cash flow. Are you working within a profit first model where you are flipping the math that most lawyers run their business by? Most lawyers run their business by revenue minus expenses equals profit. And that's what they take home. Bull. It's the other way around. Revenue minus your profit tells you your operating expenses. You are the equity investor of a company and you should be rewarded for the risk that you're taking. Unlike a publicly traded stock, there is no one that will buy your shares in your firm for anything right now. So this is the ultimate risk. You're the ultimate angel investor. So you get the lion's share of what comes out of the, any revenue that goes in there. And by the way, that comes out of the top. So beyond just that, what ratios are you working with? What percentages do you have in, spend, in terms of what you're spending in marketing, labor, staff? And, you know, how are you getting yourself more and more efficient off of that? Cool. Once you've layered those four cornerstones, now we can start once those are in place, by the way, and it's not expected that everyone gets 100% of that in the first go around. I mean, that's what we do in year one, like five meetings, about a year and three months of a program that has sort of been planned out from it. And nobody grabs all of that at once. But if you grab 10% of it, 20% of it, A, it's 20% more than you had last time, which is cool because we can build on that. And B, it's 20% more than the lawyer down the street that's trying to take your lunch. So any progress is good at this point. But once we get those cornerstone principles in place, now we can start to layer that. What does it take to create a company that is making constant improvement and changes? Introducing concept of Kaizen and making small incremental changes where the four disciplines of execution where we have war wigs and you have battle wigs and your team ends up taking on the challenges that help you win the war of whatever you've set off as being those KPIs that you're going to change in that particular year. 
that concept alone, sometimes people accuse me, like, look, people don't know how to ride the bike and you're showing them Ferrari for a second. So got it. We're going to get to that point in time. But the idea is that we build the foundation first. And once that's in place, we can then start to layer. I don't know what you want from your firm. You may want a higher volume firm, in which case you're going to spend a lot more time on your processes, management of it, team managers that are non-lawyers. You may want to be the lawyer's lawyer that gets the high dollar, high conflict matrimonial. Actually, I have a friend of mine that takes celebrity divorces out in Las Vegas. You may want to be that person. Great. That's going to be a different structure of what you invest in build in terms of how you focus more on your innovation, your marketing, and your reputation than you do necessarily on anything that looks like your lower level staff margins or your processes. I mean, that's going to be a little more amorphous, but you'll be okay because you've got higher dollar amount. The whole point is that once the foundation's in place, the then, then we can start building floors one, two, and three on top of that. And it's largely driven by where the client wants to go. So it's not necessarily that your job as the firm owner really has to change that much. It's just making sure you have a stronger and stronger foundation to allow you to work towards what you actually want to do, what you want you actually want your role to be. Right. So let me respond to that this way. For those people that are listening that are scared off by the idea that your role is going to change. No, I'm not changing anything about your role. You'll be exactly the same for the good two or three years. For everyone else, of course, I want your role to change. Your role is going to change on the basis of the fact that you're measured not by anything in particular that you could do as a lawyer, but more what you can do as this investor that owns this firm that produces these legal services. Um, there's a there's the old response that say you don't own uh, a law firm, you own a customer services firm that happens to produce legal services or market. I've heard this a couple different ways. I actually like the other iteration, which is that you own a training company. And that training company develops great legal talent. And that legal talent happens to provide legal services. So if you focus on how you develop great talent, those training mechanisms that you do, you want to be the place that people are throwing unsolicited resumes towards and referral sources are throwing unsolicited work that you never met. My greatest uh, sense of accomplishment is when we get to the, um, the hat trick of somebody that comes to us having heard from three independent sources around us. And it's not one referral off of it. I got you from here, I got it from the other one. By the way, my next door neighbor, when I said that I was coming in, also knew you too. Great, now we're winning on all of those fronts. But if you start to look at that shift, then you will be rewarded not by having performed any particular piece of legal work. You can reserve any of that that you want, but that's not really where your leverage is. Your leverage is in how you manifest great work, great um, uh, success, transformation within your team that can go and then deliver that to all of the clients that want to hire your firm. So I think that's such an excellent way to look at it. I mean, in essence, you're helping them put a puzzle together with them also creating themselves into the right piece in both directions, you know, what you need and what you want. So I just, I love that. And that's why I was sort of hesitant. I mean, I was being playful in the way I was responding because I understand that change is threatening to a lot of people. If you give them this idea that you says you have to throw out who you are and become somebody else, you may never get off of the block off of it. So I get that that is a response. But for most people that are looking to make a shift that we can engage in coaching, let's take it away from being sort of having me, me as a coaching client, me going in and saying, I want help 
to grow in a particular direction, I'm willing to put on the table a lot in order to achieve that. And I've got to throw out this idea about everything that I know that I know. That's a lot of recency and confirmation bias off of that. Your last work off of it reinforces the idea that you know exactly how to get from point A to point B. Well, can we swear on this? If that was yeah. the case, if that was the case, you would have done it already. So can we just put on the shelf for this idea that you might have all of the answers? There's this uh, great um, uh, sort of trope within Atticus. This is the idea of an Atticus, I'm sorry, the life cycle of an Atticus idea is the first response is that will never work. The second layer of response is, well, that might work for you, but you don't understand anything about my practice and I'm completely different. And by the time you get to the seventh step, the layer thing, this is the best fucking idea I've ever had in my life. In fact, I'm brilliant for having had it in the first place. But it needs to go through that life cycle because most people are resistant to the concept of change. And so that they can't grab onto it easily. That in and of itself is a muscle that you develop. I always think that about coaching, and we might get to this topic, this sort of next one where you're going, but people are like, well, isn't it a limited duration? Isn't, am I just signing up for this forever? Is, am I ever out of it? And I say to people, look, when you're done growing, you're done being coached, quit it. But not until that point in time. So is that a year? I don't know, you're gonna be done in a year? It's up to you. Is it 10 years? It's, it's running on 12 for me. I'm not done growing yet, and so I'm not done learning that. It's the same thing as a gym membership. Yes. They're going to take $50 from you every month. And yes, in order for you to see any value, you've got to show up and actually do some work. The gym doesn't do the work for you. But is there value in having a trainer? Is there value in having somebody who spots your form and tells you what you're doing wrong? Will you make more progress in that? Probably. And so if you're looking at this in terms of that whole journey, you develop the muscle around being willing to challenge yourself to do new things. It is a muscle. You didn't have it before, or if you did, it's been atrophied. We need to redevelop that part of you that thinks critically and deliberately about your practice to make the changes to get it to improve. So, all right. So if you, Victor Medina, could go back in time those 12 years and talk to you like right when this first started, Right. You know, what advice do you wish that you gave to yourself? All right. So besides the idea that I wish I would have done it four years before when I landed in 2008, because that was the first time that I ended up tying the practice and I wish I jumped into it there. I think that one of the things that is often overlooked is the value of investing in leadership skills. I so what was my journey like? My journey was that I invested heavily on the principles of coaching, time management and marketing and cash flow. And I could kind of think about staffing, but I sucked as a leader. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect now, but I was terrible then. Terrible to the point that I wasted great talents that I should have been able to nurture, all because I lacked self-awareness about who I was as a leader, how I was showing up for people, and what it is that was my real job in life, which is to go figure out how for them to be successful. I really thought that they were there to help me be successful, and all I had to do was find the right people that could do what I wanted them to do, and then I could just show up the same asshole I've always been in my life and expect to be successful. That shift probably took five or six years into the whole coaching process. And by the way, in the moment that I opened my eyes to it, it still probably took another year or two to get decent enough to feel like I can talk to other people about that. So I wish if I went back in there, I could show, uh, sorry, I, I'm just, I swear by nature, Jordan, but I, I could, wish I could show the asshole for four years 
I could compress that into a movie just so that I could see the highlight reels off of that and learn that lesson early. And I'm not suggesting that everybody listen here goes to the level of being a distasteful person or a leader. But I will say that most lawyers that I've encountered are poor leaders and poor managers. But hey, that's okay. You were never trained in that skill. We talk about this whole business skill area. You were trained in how to be a great lawyer, and I'm sure you are. We don't want to talk to you if you're not. But then let's also agree that you have spent no time being trained and working on your skill set, not only just in business, but specifically as a leader. Understanding that at some break point, once you've sort of figured out marketing, do some stuff, have a value proposition, get sale. Okay, great. When you've nailed that to some relative success, understand that the one single thing that will determine your future success, and I've used the phrase, but I'm fond of it, is your ability to attract train and retain great help. That's it. That is the only way that you will have transformative success because you will max out on what you're capable of doing on you. You'll lose your one assistant that's been there for 25 years, or you will adopt and retain that assistant that's been there for 25 years that is completely ineffective and frustrating your goals, or the people that you will bring on will leave in six months because you had no retention program for them. All of these things will be the case. So if you want to focus on one area, you, Medina, in 2008, focus more on that because where I, I lament where I could have been if I focused on that much earlier than when I finally realized that that was the secret. Yeah, and it's amazing to me because, you know, the way that you phrase that makes so much sense because I think small law firm owners kind of wear that as like shame, you know, like I don't know how to be a good leader, but you're looking at like 1.3 million attorneys. You're looking at half of those being in a solo and small firm. So you're looking at a small percentage of that running their own firm then a smaller percentage that has any variable size to meet any leadership qualities. And then only after you're weeding out, you know, 99% of people, then we're really talking about those people, those law firm owners in a position to become better leaders of a larger team. Yeah, no, totally true. Totally true. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why the group coaching format, forget about Atticus for a second. I think it's the best coaching program in the world, but why being in and around folks that are similar is so important. Because what you just defined is this universe that becomes shrinking, concentrically shrinking, smaller and smaller and smaller, of people that you can talk to that have the same challenges and mindset that you have and same opportunity for success and transformation. It gets smaller and smaller. If you're just talking to the people that are in your neighborhood bar, most of them suck at running a business. So the moment you make that distinction, you look around and go, okay, decent enough person to have a beer with, but I can't speak. Uh, with them about the struggles that I'm having, nor can we work together to try to figure out what next we could do. So I'm not going to get these answers from these people. Whereas when you're in a group coaching setting, and you do, by the way, I think graduate into higher levels of coaching as you make progress. And some people are going to do that at different speeds. But we're at the point now where we almost have the group that I'm in is almost this really small subset of about 11 lawyers that came from another program that we were like, look, we're progressing faster than other people. Our mindsets, we want different challenges. And so even within that, you look at kind of that scaling up, even by the time we've gotten to that point, the universe of people that can talk to me, that I can talk to about the stuff that's in there that I will listen to based on what they've been able to accomplish and, and, and how they've transformed, it's smaller and smaller. And it, we still, we're paying for a coach to come into our group, to do our things. It's still the same coach that I met in 2008 to have him highlight everything. 
all still the same because he can still put goalposts in front of us. But it's one of the reasons why those groups or that setting is so valuable. Whether it's Maximum Lawyer, which, by the way, I think has got a big, raw, big wide spectrum of success and levels, especially when we see some of the questions that come up from time to time. But whether it's that, that is what, hey, listen, you're on a list, sir, from lawyers that are asking questions about business. That is a smaller circle than your neighborhood bar. Or you start moving up to whether it's Atticus training off of it, if it's a practice growth program, which is their initial program, or it's dominate your market, or it's their elite program, whatever it looks like, being in and around those people is incredibly helpful for the reason that I started out with in the conversation, which is such a lonely journey otherwise. And when you get to that point in time where you're ascending up the mountain, there are fewer and fewer people that can walk with you. It gets lonelier. You need that, that, that component to it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to somebody. Um, I don't know if they were, they, it was like Tony Robbins, the Lion Club. It was one of those like twenty-five dollars to $100,000 a year masterminds. And they were just like, but you have to understand, you know, that weeds out so many people that aren't going to be a good fit. And then everybody is, you know, pot committed from the amount of money, but you're pot committed in a circle of other people with the same feelings. And so it's so interesting to me as using, using time, using money, using experience as a way to get you into the right room with the right other people and then exponentially helping each other grow and succeed from there. Absolutely. I mean, I think Genius Network has got one that's 25 grand to walk in. It's part of like a strategic coach and they have one level above that. The guy who started that, that's probably like, I think a hundred thousand. The, the, so when you get to the levels of the dollars, right? Cause those dollars can be really frightening off of it. The, the dollars end up being two things. You're right that they are a velvet rope to going in from that. But what a lot of people don't appreciate is that for folks at that level, those dollars are modest investments in future successes, right? So I think Atticus coaching program starts at maybe about $1,000 a month. And for some people, that is a huge chunk of money to bring out of their budget. If you're bringing in, you know, essentially uh, $20,000 a month, that's 5% of your revenue that's going towards this thing. That's probably the right investment, 250, 400,000, somewhere around there. But for a person who's making a million dollars a month, a thousand dollars going in out of coaching, that's that's a rounding error. I'm not even sure I know how many thousand, one thousand dollar checks go out of my office that I don't have approval. Great, show me the numbers at the end because I can't spend time on dollars that are that small. But now you talk about ten thousand dollars coming out of a hundred thousand dollar month. That's ten percent of my revenue. That's a good investment off of where I'm thinking. I wanted some return from that, or twenty five, and you're down to two thousand. Whatever it looks like. But the idea is that um, the numbers only look like they are barriers to entry for people for whom they are barriers to entry. And for everyone else that are walking through that, that becomes the investment that they are willing to make in order to have the success they have. You've got a guy who's clearing $4 million a year you know, off of it. They're not going to get charged $1,000 per month or $2,000 a month for coaching. It's going to be twenty grand to, per month for coaching because that's about the only person they're going to listen to for what they've got going on in there. You know, they, we're not playing in the same field. You don't share my struggles. Makes perfect not sense. Not you specifically, me, Victor, but I'm saying the person who's paying that. I don't right. have that much ego. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. So um, for everybody watching the show, as we start to get towards the end, our next episode will be this Thursday, 1.30 Eastern time. We're having Jay Harrington on. Jay's going to talk to us about leadership, marketing, and business development and some LinkedIn tips. Um, if you're not already following Jay on LinkedIn, I highly suggest go on over there and follow him. He has got some great insight, wisdom, um, written a bunch of books, et cetera. So he's gonna share some great wisdom with us this Thursday at 
But enough about that. I'm not ready to let you go, Victor. Okay. So what is, you know, we, we have this show. We're designing to try to get attorneys to understand what it takes to be that exhibit A of a successful attorney. So if somebody has been listening for the last 50 minutes, they take nothing else away from this. What is the biggest takeaway you want to let them know to help them get to that level where they can, where they can really truly understand that they are a success? Yeah. So I like, I love the whole idea uh, of framing within that sort of exhibit a for, for the success they're going to have. And I think that for people that there would be two things that I would leave them for. Um, They need to spend some time in an honest self-assessment about where they are. I think too many of us get caught in the whirlwind of the day to day and we don't give enough time and space to be able to do that. So uh, another lawyer Mac nerd friend of mine is a guy named David Sparks, and he runs a, a website called Max Sparky. He posted recently uh, something about holding a retreat. Like he went out and we, he held a retreat. I'd urge people to read that posting and schedule their own retreat for them to take stock for where they have right now. And by the way, if you think you don't have time for the retreat, good, we can get to the conclusion that you probably ought to consider some coaching. But you know, scheduling that in there to make us honest reflection and assessment about kind of where you are is probably that step one, because it helps underscore whether or not there's some form of dissatisfaction about where you are and where you want to be. Assuming that you've identified that as being the case, then we get to step two, which is I need people to understand that making that transformation is possible and rewarding. It is that leap. And so we've talked about that academic to business paradigm. And so you may make a distinction says I want to be measured by those rules. I think the number of people that will do that is small because they don't even understand what that world looks like or why they would need to be. But I do need them to agree, uh, understand that transformation is possible. It just requires help. So do that two steps. Go ahead and walk away and be like, am I comfortable with where I am? Do I know what I'm capable of? And am I achieving those things? If all of those things are true, we're done. We're done with the analysis. But if you come out saying that I am somehow dissatisfied with where I am and I want something more from that, understand that we can make that shift. Coaches can help you make that shift. You have to be willing to make the investment in that. I'm talking about dollars. I'm saying the mind shift. Be willing to listen to ideas and strategies that are going to challenge your preconceived notion with that idea that I shared before, which is that if you had all the answers already, you would have done this. Okay, you would have been, you, you wouldn't have needed off of it. So maybe we're open to listening to some new ideas and then follow the next step from that. Um, I would love it if you reached out to Atticus only because I think it's the best coaching company that's out of there. But seek out that help from people that you respect in the field and who you think can lead you in that direction. There's nothing more rewarding, Jordan, to find a coach that you can follow or a coaching program that you can follow because it will be the port in the storm that you turn to as challenges manifest themselves. This will not be a straight line success from here to there. You make the decision, you're not going to get from here to whatever you think of the end without setbacks and without challenges. And so when that happens, being able to lean backwards on some stable foundation with somebody that you trust or a system that you trust becomes so, so important because you won't be able to think clearly in those situations. You need to be coming back to be like, nope, my faith is here. This is the church that I pray at. That's my God. This is the one that I go towards. I'll be able to make success and I'll be ready to go up for the next 90 days or quarter or whatever the cadence of your coaching is. And so we have a www.atticusadvantage.com. And then I think Breezy pulled up the uh, practice growth diagnostic. 
So yeah, that is a great entry point. Do you mind if I talk about that just for a minute or two? I, no, I didn't, go for it. I wasn't intending to sell anything at all, but one of the entry ways that people go into Atticus is to go through a practice growth diagnostic. It is a paid um, uh, uh, assessment that will allow you to understand where your practice currently stands. I think it's a like it's piss away money. It's like 300 bucks, 400 bucks, something like that. But you go through there, you get a disc assessment on yourself, you get an assessment on your team, you get an assessment on those four cornerstone areas, and it will give you an opportunity to kind of understand where you are, not only just relative to the marketplace, but to where your potential is. Um, it's the easiest way for people to gain entry into that. And the person who does that with you is a woman named Denise Gamas. She also happens to be um, married to the old golfer, old golfer, he's in the Champions Tour, but the guy Robert Gomez, who kind of aced out from uh, Bay Hill and Arnold Palmer at 7-iron. Anyway, it, it, uh, she's fantastic. Like she's been at this for a dozen years or so, and she walked people through. She's seen every practice, every practice. Now, from, from I make $30 million a year, you know, but I have a terrible relationship with my wife, to I made $30,000 a year, what can I do? She's seen every one of them. And so if you go through the practice growth diagnostic, if you request or you talk to her, you'll be able to come out the end with a set of recommendations. Take them for whatever they are. But the assessment in and of itself, I think is extremely valuable as a starting point to understand where are you? Where, where is the dropped pin in this particular map? Because I think a lot of people lack that perspective. All right. So any other contact info or tips or things you want people to check out? Hey, listen, I uh, am happy to answer questions for people that have them. And so if anybody wants to send me a private email, I'm going to let you in at my time focus management. It means that even though I'm giving you this email address, somebody else checks that email and it'll get to me. But there you can go. email me at victor at medinalawgroup.com. Send me an email. Ask me the questions that you want. I would love to provide more information if you have it, if you've got any questions on the follow-up. But uh, I think the only thing I would leave you with in terms of the other contact, I talked about my labor of love, but if you go to MacTrack Legal, it's M-A-C-T-R-A-C-K legal.com. That's the, um, the, that's the uh, Mac lawyer program that I, uh, conference that I run. It's on Disney World in September. I don't make any money from it. I just pays for my flight down there. I swear to you, it's not anything that's in my pocket. But if you do show up from that, I think you'd find another group of people that's similarly focused in the topic that we've been talking around today, which is eager to do more, um, happy to help one another, very collegial off of it. And it's, uh, and it's a great program in of itself. I love to see it, you know, about 80 or 100 people per year. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jordan. It was a great conversation. really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E. -E.